the New Testament. We are at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. This also is God's holy word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. May we go to our God and seek his blessing in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for you have provided us your word. Your word is clear. Your word is authoritative. Father, we thank you for your great promises that you remind us that our security is important to you. Father, we acknowledge that our lives are in your hands. Father, that though our physical lives may be lost, as 
Many were in the past, physical lives lost, but our spiritual lives are entirely secure in you. Thank you, Father, for your mighty power of sealing your people. Father, we pray that we might live for your glory, that we might trust in you. Father, we pray in thanks for you know what is best for us. You know what is best for your church far better than we do. And Father, we pray for the good news of the gospel to go forward with power even this day. Strengthen our faith and guide us in our walk. And Father, may we trust that you have, uh, you will uh, bring a new heavens and a new earth, that you are preparing a people of your very, of your very own. And we pray, Father, that your son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you ever go to the store and you look for some type of a, some kind of a meat product, um, you, you have on, on the package of meat, it will say uh, good until December 12th or December 13th. And that might be two weeks. So it's two weeks from, uh, from today. And that only applies if the seal of that package is intact. Meaning that if there was some kind of a rip in that package, such that there's a bubble, if you receive one of these bubbles, it's not going to last to that date. The, the vacuum has to be sealed. And here in this passage, we, we learn about this sealing that God speaks of. <clears throat> and it's no minor thing to be sealed by God. That package of meat, that seal is broken, it won't be preserved. It won't be fresh. It will go bad even, on the sh on, even in, in, uh, in the, uh, the refrigerator shelf. But we also see that unless, uh, well, unless God's people are sealed, so also we will be lost. And God's seal means something. God's seal separates us from those who are in the world. This is why, at times, we, we think about the sign, uh, the sign of communion. Oftentimes, people are offended uh, if they're not allowed to partake. Who are you to exclude us? Well, here, you ought to understand, well, this is the visible seeing of, hey, you have not made this profession of faith. You haven't received baptism. Uh, there is going to be a separation between the world and the church, between those inside and those outside. So also we see in our passage that God has made a separation for those who have the mark of the beast and for those who have the, the mark of the name of Christ on them, that there is a difference. There is clearly a difference. There was a difference between the sons of Egypt and the sons of Israel. We ought to understand that in this passage, we have what appears like a, an intermission. We have what appears like an interlude. So the way you think about if you're watching a play, a theatrical play, and some of them are quite long, they're three hours or, or two and a half hours. And last time I checked, uh, if you go to certain continents and you preach an hour, They'll, they'll tell you, hey, you've come back down after preaching an hour. Go back up there and give us at least another hour. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll feel shortchanged. Well, maybe it's not North America that, that, that you hear that. But you think about these plays. 
There's so much input, so much stimulation, so much that you have to process that they give you this you know, 10 or 15, 20 minutes for you to stretch your feet and for, you, for your mind to take a break. And it's as if this Revelation chapter 7 is one such intermission that between uh, the opening of the first six seals and all the difficulties that come up that people are saying the mountains and rocks fall on us, hide us from the, the, uh, the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for who is able to stand. And then you have, uh, so between the sixth and the seventh seal, you have this intermission, you have this interlude. But you have also in this passage, Revelation 7, this is a direct answer to that question, who then is able to stand? Because in, in verse 9 there, you have a mention, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Meaning that John is, is helping you uh, to follow along who is able to stand. That we're the, the people who will dwell on the earth are asking for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them like some kind of avalanche, that this is going to protect us. This is better than approaching the Lamb and asking for forgiveness and receiving the promise of salvation. And then the conclusion is, well, no one is able to stand. Well, some are able to stand. All who are in Christ are those who stand. We're not saying stand before the judgment seat because everyone will stand before the judgment seat, but who is able to stand and not be condemned? It's those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the truth that we see in this passage, God holds back the winds of turmoil until every last elect is safely sealed for the day of redemption. God holds back the winds of turmoil until every last elect is safely sealed for the day of redemption. Look at this in three points. The first is the sealing of those who stand before God. Second, the satisfaction of those who stand before God. And third, the security of those who stand before God. So the first point, the sealing of those who stand before God in verses 1 through 8. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Here we, we think to what has been happening in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and uh, we, we think back, and I mentioned this, that uh, the, the common, the predominant view among Christians uh, is that everything in Revelation, from about Revelation chapter 4 to the end, is entirely future. And that the view is that it's entirely future, it hasn't happened yet, and uh, and that the events are all linear, meaning from Revelation 4 to Revelation 22, it's moving along a linear line. But perhaps we ought to think about it that uh, Revelation 4 to Revelation 22, it's not all future. Uh, much of it is ongoing. And it's not linear, but rather there's some kind of recapitulation. There's a, a repeating of the themes that come up 
and in different ways in, in another, another scene and another vision. In Revelation 4, we had the focus on the praise and the glory of God, who is the king of creation. Revelation 5, then, speaks about how you have the lamb. In addition to the one seated on the throne, you have the lamb who was slain. Revelation 6, the apostle John wept bitterly because there was this book, the book with the seven seals that no one in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in the sea or wherever, there's no one worthy to open that scroll. <clears throat> and it's not as if, it's not as if it's only, we, we need someone who's sinless because you look at the angels, they don't have sin, uh, the ones that didn't fall. Uh, it had to do with, you have uh, the Lord Jesus as the only one that he, he takes the scroll and then he opens the seals. The one who is worthy, we think about what it means to open the scrolls. It had to do with the one who is worthy to carry out God's sovereign plan, including that of redemption and judgment. We think also about how in Revelation 6, you have the opening of the first four seals. The first seal, the rider on the white horse bringing conquest. The second seal, the rider on the red horse bringing war and conflict and discord. Uh, the third seal, the rider on the black horse with a pair of scales, and, and he brings famine. The fourth seal, the rider on the pale horse who brings death. And the fifth seal was the predicament of the martyrs, that uh, there were many Christians who lost their lives because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And, you know, the simple, or at least from, from our modern view, the simple solution to that is, hey, if we just live private lives as Christians, speak to no one about it, then, hey, we'll, we'll stay relatively safe. But the question is, is that necessarily obeying our Lord Jesus? We can say safe, that's one thing. Obeying Christ is another. So that was the fifth seal, the predicament of the martyrs. And we have this, the sixth seal was where the cataclysmic events and the panic or the terror that comes upon sinful men with the coming of judgment day. <clears throat> and so here we have this interlude, this intermission. And uh, it's almost as if the Christians, as they're, as they're hearing about this, they're wondering, wait a minute, where are we in all this? Are we going to be lost in, in the pillages of war? Are we going to be forgotten? Are we going to, uh, to shrivel up and die in the, the, uh, the difficulties of famine? So Revelation 7 is answering that very question, granting God's people this assurance. <clears throat> now imagine if you were, for a moment, I know, time travel is never fun, right? It's, okay, so you, you suddenly appear, and then you, you find out about this Ford Model T. This Ford Model T is great, because you, you didn't know about the wheel, right? You didn't know about the wheel, and suddenly there's this machine with four wheels. You put this liquid in here, and this thing, this thing goes, you know, whatever, however many miles per hour. This is great. And then when, it, when it's a hot day, well, hey, you, you have all this open air, so it cools you off. But then imagine for a moment, 
you compare that and you tell the guy who's never seen an automobile, he says, this Ford Model T, this thing's great, absolutely great. But then you say, hey, we got something better. He's like, what could possibly better? I've never ever seen a wheel before. And then you, you show him a modern car where it's like, hey, this thing has airbags. Hey, this thing has been through all these crash tests. Uh, hey, even, even down to the sound of the engine, you know, some of these auto manufacturers, they, they even tune the sound of the engine so that it is impressive. And then there's climate control, where, hey, it's not just climate control on one side. You, you have climate control on the other side, too, because obviously the, the, that front passenger always wants a different temperature than you, even though they're only like a foot from you. All this to say, when you think about the auto manufacturer, if they only got you from point A to point B, well, with all that competition, do you think that car would sell? Well, probably not. They got to get you from point A to point B safely. They got to get you from point A to point B without breaking down. They got to get you from point A to point B with comfort, with security. And so also, you think about, hey, if, if the airlines, if the auto manufacturers know a thing or two about, hey, it's important that these people are comfortable, that they're content. Well, so also you think that the Lord will be concerned about, hey, not only do you survive the Christian life, that you end up in heaven eventually, but then you get there and, and that in your life now you would realize, listen, I'm entirely secure. We think about how heaven, how is heaven different than a Christian's life on earth? Is there actually any difference in the matter of security for you? The answer is no. There's nothing at all different about security. So when you get to heaven, can you say, oh, then this person, this elect person is definitely saved. Or when Jesus in his word says, he who believes has crossed from death to life. Is his word not secure for you? The only difference for the Christian here on earth and the one who is in heaven is a matter of happiness, right? A matter of the experience of it, it, having sin removed. So there's a difference in happiness, difference in joy, there's a difference in contentment, but your security is no different. If you can understand that, there's no difference regarding your security because Jesus is the one who said, hey, I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When you talk about security, you're no less secure now than when you enter eternity. And that you and I ought to be able to say, besides the con conquerors who come, because there'll be conquerors who come, promising great things, and uh, they're going to talk about a new world order, a new heavens and a new earth because they're messianic in the sense that they, hey, we're, we're the saviors and, and that involves killing off huge numbers of people, right, when they create this new order and, and oftentimes it's going to be the Christians who are the ones who need to be exterminated and, and then you have the famines and the wars and the conflicts and all of that and you ask, where's our security? Our security has been there. It's always been there. The Lord has provided for us, the Lord is sealing his people. <clears throat>
So you, you think about these four angels on the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth. These four winds stand, stand for God's destructive forces of judgment. <clears throat> he sends them. Perhaps you can think of it as the final judgment, but I, I realize that it's not just that. It, it includes uh, the, the four horsemen who, who bring the conquerors and the, uh, the conflict and wars and the famines and death. That God is preserving his people. That the later chapters of Revelation speak about the seal. They speak about the seal on, on uh, the foreheads or on the hands of God's people. The right hand was it. And that the seal, you have the mark of the beast or you have the mark of, of God, the, the name of God written on you. Here, it was a top priority for God. It's not as if the angels have power in and of themselves. They're, they're merely messengers. They're, they're merely the people who turn the knobs, right? So God is, God is saying, hey, you're, these angels, hey, you're gonna hold back these winds uh, from the destruction, that, the blows on the earth and the sea. God is saying, hey, I'm concerned about my people that they might be sealed, the servants. And the term there is bond servants. And it's a reminder to us that our role, our job, is to serve the Lord. Here, I hope you, hope you can understand that part of the world, part of their attack, anytime you hear something about servitude or slavery, they want you to get a fix. They, they, they want you to become angry, such that even as you read the scriptures, and you, you hear about how we are bondservants of Jesus Christ, bondservants of God, they want us to be angry and say, hey, we reject this. You realize that? The opposition is against scripture itself. We are bondservants of Christ. There's nothing that we ought to be ashamed about with that. He has bought us by his blood. We were, we were prostituting ourselves to any and every master that would have us. And it was Christ who came by, laid down his life, spilled his blood, and bought us. That is the truth. That is, that is the imagery that we see throughout the scriptures. We must not be ashamed of that. We must not redact that. We must not uh, clean that up from the word of God. When we think about the work of sealing for God's servants, we have a threefold effect of sealing. That a seal is protection. A seal provides protection. You think about the Roman seal, that in front of uh, the tomb of Jesus, where he was buried, there was a Roman seal there. And the understanding is anyone who crosses the seal, who damages the seal, that he will be crucified upside down is for protection. Because the, the Jewish leaders had said, hey, you remember? Jesus, this man said that he would rise again. So we need to guard this tomb so his disciples don't come and take away his body. <coughs> This seal of protection, Jesus prayed to his father, Holy Father, keep them in your name, John 17, 11. <clears throat> This is Jesus asking the father that he would protect spiritually those who are in Christ. This is a protection not of physical life because ultimately the sword or famine or disease, death will eventually get us. Our bodies waste away. <clears throat> this is a protection regarding our spiritual lives. Mm -hmm. 
Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That the Holy Spirit has sealed us. That we're protected until the day of redemption. The seal is also possession. The seal marks ownership. For cattle, the method is you, you put a special mark, a uh, oddly shaped J or whatever it is. You, you have your own brand mark. You brand that cattle so that if the cattle gets away, you can claim, hey, look at that. The cattle's in your yard that's got my brand, so it's mine. Otherwise, someone else can claim, or you, you, know, you put a tag on the ear. Whatever's the case, there's a mark of ownership. So also, the blood of our Lord Jesus is the mark that's, that sets apart sinners as belonging to him. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. <clears throat> it's the precious blood of Christ that marks us off as belonging to God. You and I were bought at a price that we must live for Jesus Christ and under his rule and under his authority because he has bought us by his blood. We belong to him. He owns us. In Revelation 5, earlier, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Right. Jesus has set us free from the bondage to sin and death. He set us free from the slavery to sin. <clears throat> the seal is also a proof of authenticity. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who seals his people as the genuine article. If there is ever something of value, then there will be an attempt to make an imitation, to make a phony. People don't uh, generally uh, make a, 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 um, a fake $1 bill because a $1 bill is not worth very much. But you try to make phonies of things like a, maybe a, a $100 or a $1,000 bill. But you think about the work of sealing. The Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. Romans 8, 15 to 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. He testifies with us that we are children of God. We are adopted children. Satan will attempt to accuse you and persuade the children of God that they are phony, that they are lost, that they are hopeless, that they are abandoned. This is why having the witness, the seal, the Holy Spirit in your life is valuable. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're reminded that the sacraments are also signs and seals of God. They're signs and seals of the covenant of grace. 
you realize that the sacraments have no power at all outside of the sealing work of God. Meaning the two parts of the sacrament, that of the outward sensible sign, and then that of the inward and spiritual grace. Unless there is the inward spiritual grace, the sealing of God, unless there is that part, the outward sign has no value at all. Oftentimes, you have people from the world thinking, hey, if only I could have that. If only I could eat of that. There's, there's a superstitious view. If I could eat of that, if I could receive that water of baptism, if I could eat of the sacrament, then I will definitely be saved. This is why oftentimes you have people who, who receive baptism and, and they, you never see them again. Or they become, hey, I, I got my name on the rolls of the church, and then they're, they never darken the door of the church again. It's like, well, what do they, what do they think about this process? What, 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 was, what was the Christian life according to their view? We ought to understand that these sacraments also distinguish those from the world from those in the church. That God in his seal that he applies to people, that is exactly what he's doing. This is, this is what we see in Joshua 5 that we read earlier. We want to know about a wicked, unbelieving generation. We see about all the things they did. That, uh, that they grumbled and complained. They worshipped false gods. And here in Joshua chapter 5, we see that they did not apply the covenant sign to their children. It says that circumcise a second time, and that's not possible, right? You can't circumcise someone a second time. It explains that by saying that there were those who came out from Egypt. So those in Egypt were circumcised, but then for 40 years, God says, they shall never enter my rest. They won't enter the promised land. God killed them off in 40 years. But then as, as that generation had children, they weren't circumcising them. And you think about how circumcision, you think about the story of Dina and the Shechemites and what the, uh, Simeon and Levi did with the Shechemites, where the Shechemites came and, hey, my, my son loves your daughter and we, we, want, we want to have her as his bride and anything we'll pay. Oh, hey. They said, hey, how about you, you all be circumcised? And, and, and we talked about this last night. My wife said, hey, in that situation, they said, hey, you're doing your own thing, right? We're not, we're not joining you with that. So these men was a hundred, a hundred men in, in the Shechemite clan, and then two men went, and they, they wiped them all out, two against a hundred, right? So ratio of one to 50, because they were weakened. They were weakened by their recovery. And you think about why is God saying, hey, we're right outside the walls of Jericho. And you guys all need to be circumcised. So what, what he's doing, he's, he's weakening all of them. They had to, to wait to recover. But what God was saying is, hey, listen, when you guys go there, there needs to be a distinction between you and them. Right now, there is none. There's no visible distinction. We understand that these seals are important to God, so they should be important to us. <clears throat> we have also... Description, verses 4 through 8, <clears throat> of the 144,000, the 12 tribes of Israel, that these are the ones who are sealed. And you, perhaps you see the resemblance. Remember, we talked about how Revelation uh, alludes hundreds of times to the Old Testament. We ought to interpret Revelation according to our understanding of the Old Testament, 
not according to our news feed, right? So this is, this is something we need to be reminded of. <clears throat> but it resembles the book of Numbers chapter 1, where it talks about all of the tribes and the numbers of God's people. And here we have numbering an account. And perhaps you've noticed that instead of Reuben, who is the oldest, being mentioned first, it was Judah. And the reason why is because the promise in, uh, in Genesis is that the line of Judah, that from Judah would come the Messiah. And for all of God's people that are sealed and accounted for, not one of them will be lost. John chapter 6, Jesus said that, that this is the, God's will, that he will lose none of all that God has given them, but he will raise them up on the last day. They're all accounted for. So perhaps some of you are wondering, 144,000, is that a literal number? The answer is no. Apparently the Jehovah's Witnesses had a major issue with this, right? As you think about the year 1860, there are all kinds of different cults, Christian cults that came up right around that period, right? 1860, not a good period. Uh, and the Jehovah's Witnesses took that as a literal number. And then when their membership expanded beyond 144,000, then they had this problem. We see even in this chapter, we have a proper interpretation of this. So this is the first point. This is uh, regarding the, um, the sealing of those who stand before God. We have the second point, the satisfaction of those who stand before God in verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> we have in this passage the link between Revelation 6 and now this Revelation 7. I mentioned earlier the question that those who dwelt on the earth who were begging the, the rocks and the mountains to fall on them to protect them from the the, the wrath of the one seated on the throne and of the Lamb. They ask, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And we have in this passage, Revelation 7, verse 9, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They are able to stand before the throne and before the Lamb because God makes them stand. Amen. We have here a direct answer to that question. Are the 144,000 literal or symbolic? The answer is they're symbolic because he says a great multitude that no one could number. And it's not only of the, the descendants of Israel, of the 12 tribes of Israel, because here we have uh, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So it's not merely the descendants of Israel. It's people from all over the world. You think about the very, the very phrase, the very word Gentile. 
It actually means na nations, right? So the, the word Gentile and nations is the same word. So, so you have Israel, and then you have the Gentiles, or Israel, and then you have the other nations. And, and we're told that from every nation, that includes all of us. Here we think about the joy, the satisfaction of those who are standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. You have joy, you have satisfaction, because you have a contrast. In Revelation 6, you had the people who were begging for an avalanche to fall on them. Because they'd rather have that than to approach the Lamb. We realize that people seem to be more afraid of the good news than anything else. Right? This idea of, hey, do you want, to, you want me to share you this message of good news? And people, oh, no, no, I, I don't want that. Right? Hey, I'm about to sit down for a meal. I'd like to open the word of God. And they, they freak out. Right here. With, with the speaking of God's word, with the gospel, there is accountability. What are they afraid of? What are you afraid of? Have you ever wondered this? There are many people who want to be blessed of God. It seems like there are many people even who want to have their sins forgiven. But what about their life? You mean if I'm going to have my sins forgiven, that, that I have to follow Christ, meaning that I have to repent of my sins. I have to forsake them. You, you mean that all of these things in my life need to change then? Yes, that's correct. Meaning that if you're going to forsake your sins, if God has given you new life, the evidence is that you leave those things behind. And this is what people don't want to hear. They, they want the good message of, oh, slate washed clean. That's great. But they don't want this. Well, hey, that means we have to turn from our old ways. There's a requirement to change. There's, there's a requirement to say, hey, if you are a new creation, then there must mean that you have a new love and a new life. And, and you leave behind the old life. Here, this matter of standing. Psalm 76, but you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? Do you think God, in his patience and his long-suffering, <clears throat> for people who have spurned him, who have rejected him, who have denied him when he begs sinners to embrace his son, do you think his anger will be roused when people get to the judgment seat and they claim, you never gave me the opportunity. Well, first off, I don't, I don't think they're going to claim. They can't, they can't claim that. But God, indeed, his anger will be roused. Who can stand before his indignation? You think about Job's question. How can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of a woman be pure? Isn't this the same question as who can stand? It's essentially the same. Who can stand and not be consumed by God, who is an uh, all-consuming fire. The cry of the great multitude in heaven. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When you think about what people are shouting, <clears throat> what are people shouting on social media? Right? When people, everyone wants to get on social media. 
right? <clears throat> First off, they're spouting nothing at all, meaning nothing of substance. That's number one. Or number two is, hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Hey, hey look at me. They're, they're exalting themselves. But in heaven, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, meaning the exaltation, the praise, the focus is on the one who sits on the throne and, and to the Lamb. It's a candid admission that all who are in heaven are there because the mighty work of God. No one is, hey, hey, look at me. No, no one's saying that. Everyone's saying, look at the Lord. And, and for eternity, we are going to be pointing to God saying, he indeed is great. He indeed is merciful. He indeed is wonderful. All who are in heaven are there because of the merits of Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain on behalf of sinners. Are you trusting in this lamb? There's only two options. You are trusting in yourself. You know what? Hey, I'm better than the rest of them. Self-righteousness, uh, idolatry, whatever you want to call it, or you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus will say from beginning to end, his merits are perfect, mine are all flawed. I only offer up in this equation my sin, and Jesus freely offers to me forgiveness and his righteousness. And he has commanded us to believe it, to repent and believe the free offer of the gospel. The result then is joy. God's people are clothed in white robes, symbolizing this righteousness, symbolizing this being cleansed from sin. And God's people are also victorious. They're holding the, prom, the palm branches, symbolizing victory. We see that in <clears throat> the scene of Christ's triumphal entry. The gospel accounts, was it, uh, is it all four gospel accounts, have the scene of Jesus entering Jerusalem. They borrow the donkey. Uh, and they put, they put their garments on the, on the donkey's back, and the people are, are holding palm branches. Hosanna in the highest. Victorious Jesus entering Jerusalem. <clears throat> Here we see also the mention of that great number that no one could count. Hey, this is a repeated theme. Revelation 5.9 also mentions it. That a great number elect from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language group. That these are the people who will stand. So the answer is, hey, these are the ones who stand. They stand because of Christ. They stand because of the Lamb who was slain. And their identity, they're people from all over the world who are chosen out of the world. So that's the second point, the satisfaction of those who stand. And the third point, the security of those who stand before God. In verses 13 through 17. <clears throat> then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
These are the ones who are secure because they are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They're in verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Tribulation is no more. There's historic term. We talk about the church militant, right? The church triumphant. So the church militant is the church here on earth has nothing to do whatsoever about Christians taking up arms to promote the gospel and advance the gospel. Nothing. Nothing like that. Church militant is because that a, a nation must be defending, they must be armed, they must be ready for any attack. That the church right now, with Satan assailing us, that we must be watchful, we must be vigilant. We must be concerned about temptations that come. <clears throat> that this whole idea of security, the tribulation in heaven, it's gone. So God's people are certainly secure because they've come out of the tribulation. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> God will bring his people safely to his heavenly kingdom. And he intends to bring us there, not only safely, but securely, comfortably. These are the ones who are secure because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How did they acquire these white robes? Did they hire the best fuller? You think about the, the English have these uh, last names like Cooper, Chandler, Fuller. Uh, I'm sure uh, there, are, there are a few others I can't think of right now, but a fuller is a person who washed clothes right, with fuller soap. Right? They, they, they're, they're skilled at, at uh, washing clothes. So did they have an excellent fuller? In theory, yes, they did. His name is Jesus Christ. He washed our robes with his blood. That is how our robes are washed clean, because we have Jesus and his blood that washes us whiter than the snow. Jesus' sacrificial death pays the penalty for your sins, and you must receive his offer in faith. It's apart from works. We cannot earn it. The world says, no, wait a minute. I want to give them something for it. No, you cannot give them anything for it. You cannot pay for it. You must receive his offer as he gives it to you. There's no changing the terms. <clears throat> Here we see also that they are secure because they are always in the presence of God in verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Let me ask you, are you before the presence of God right now, today, here on earth? Well, there's a sense in which you have the fullness of his presence and his fellowship in heaven that we won't have, that we don't have now. But is it the case that we're before the throne of God, that, that God shelters us with his presence even now, that we, we hide in the shelter of his wings? If so, then we are also secure in him. That they are secure because all of their needs have been met. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. 
have all of your spiritual needs been satisfied by Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one who had said his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. He who, who eats of me, who drinks of me, will have the streams of living water welling up within them. Isn't this the promise that Jesus made to the Samaritan woman in John 4? He who, he who drinks this water will never thirst. Right? All of our needs have been met in Jesus Christ. Then we go in search of many different things. But are you and I reminded that we have the daily need for food and water and shelter? But is Jesus all that we desire? And do we realize that he is the only one who gives us true satisfaction? They are secure because the sufferings are over with. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. You remember part of the curse in the garden after the fall, that if by the sweat of his brow, Adam would earn his food, that the sun would strike him. Right here we have in heaven, all of that is, all of that is gone. Sufferings are over with. The, the guilt, the shame of sin has been removed. We will sin no more. They are secure because they have Christ as their shepherd forever. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And I ask you, is Jesus Christ your shepherd now? You realize that he is the one who is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He gently leads those who have young. He gently leads those who are young. If you've entrusted your life to Jesus Christ today, then you can be secure tomorrow, in 10 years, and for eternity. This security is not something that only belongs to those who are in heaven. It belongs to God's people even here today. <clears throat> and he will guide them by streams of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. What is the significance of wiping tears from your eyes? Most of us have two hands. We can wipe our own tears. Get over it. You can grow up. No, I think the significance here is that there's someone who cares about your needs. There's someone who cares about your grief. Someone who understands. Someone who is with you. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. You realize that people all have needs. And in some sense, the reason why you have counselors or therapists, they make a whole ton of money to sit there and listen to you. They're paid to do that. And uh, why is that valid? People like to talk and have someone listen. Well, you realize God does that, and he doesn't charge you a cent. We can, we can bring him all of our griefs. We can bring him all of our concerns. We don't have to pay him. He hears them all, and he actually does something about it. Isn't this a better solution 
for all, all those who are involved. But God is the one who will guide us to the streams of living water and wipes every tear from our eyes. Here we think about how this word can be an encouragement to us. <clears throat> that we ought not to look at the sealing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lightly. You have been sealed for your protection from spiritual danger. Sealed for your ownership by Christ, by his blood. And sealed as proof of your authenticity by the Holy Spirit. That we must not look upon these matters lightly. That God seals his people for your spiritual good. This is not done by someone serving a supper or uh, sprinkling water. It is only done by the hand of God. Here we think also about eternal satisfaction in God. Are you today, right now, experiencing a foretaste of this satisfaction, even here on earth, even here and now? You realize God's goodness, he gives us a foretaste of that satisfaction in him. Do you cry out that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb? Do you delight in God who has saved you by his great power and Christ who has redeemed you by his life, by his death, by his blood? Realize that this is part of this great satisfaction is that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We also have God's design for your security and your comfort. Your comfort is not so that you can serve yourself and live as you please, going to do as you once did, doing what is right in your own eyes. Or rather, security and comfort is so that we won't be anxious, we won't be distracted from doing what God has commanded us to do. That the security that God gives you in the Holy Spirit by the perfect work of Jesus Christ is so that you may trust in Him in the daily struggles of life and that you will continue to fight on that we would labor in this Christian life, that we would not give up, that we would be diligent, that we would be trustworthy in the task that he has given us, that we might delight in Jesus Christ, that we might trust that all that we have entrusted to him, he has prepared for us and is safe until that day of redemption. We go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord.